Good morning. It's great to be in a church where God is moving and things are alive. We're going to hear some more about that. I wanted to take a moment real quick. We've had some crowding issues recently. And so um, we're trying to figure out what to do with that. We do not have the uh, amount of volunteers we need for kids ministry and some of our tech and worship for three Sunday morning gatherings. So we're praying about that. So what you can do, you can help us out, is you can move to the middle. You can go to the 930 service. There's a little bit more space. You can go to softer Sunday downstairs. Um, and then also what we're probably going to do is we might take these rows of chairs and we might just like squish them an inch and a half closer together and add another row in the back. So it won't be like first class like it is today, but it won't be like the back of the plane that most of you are used to sitting in. It'll be somewhere in the middle in business class. But I just want to thank you for um, creating space, you know, taking a one car to church if you can and then moving in and trying to create room for others. And if you're not too scared, there's often some room on the front row. So maybe next week, some of you will pay better attention on the front row if you do it, all right? So um, just letting you know what we're doing there. Uh, I'm so excited you're here today. The message today is, is titled this, Too Big for Me. Because God often asks you to do something that's hard for you to do. In fact, it's too big for you to do. In my life, God has often uh, asked me to do something. I, I can't do that. I can't do this. I remember driving one time to a, a prison going, I can't do this. I'm going to get shanked, God. I'm like 22 years old. Like, this ain't going to work. Uh, you know, whatever the Lord has asked me to do. I remember leading a trip on a bus. I was 24 years old, and I was responsible for like 25 like, high school kids going to Mexico. And I'm like, God, this is too big for me. And on and on in my life, God has asked me to do things that I don't feel like I can do because he doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those that he calls. Right? So if you're like, I'm not qualified, yeah, get on the boat, buddy. We're, none of us are qualified, right? And it's kind of like being a, uh, that kid on the diving board going, this is, this is a long way down. I'm not sure I can do this. Listen, faith is like being a little kid on a big diving board. God, I think you can catch me. Um, I could stay up here the rest of my life and never jump. A lot of people die never jumping into their faith or just playing it safe. Or God, I can jump and see what kind of adventure you have for me. And so that's what we're trying to do in our lives. We believe this. God has a divine assignment for all of us. God has a divine assignment for you. Some of you know what that is. You're serving in it. It's stretching you. It's challenging you. Others of you are kind of like, I'm trying to figure out what God wants me to do uh, with my life. Um, but we're going to ask you to consider that in your life today. In fact, I'm going to bring a friend up with me. So Pastor Tony, would you come? He's doing something that's a divine assignment from Jesus, not from himself. Would you welcome Pastor Tony as he comes and shares? Thanks, Pastor Peter. Yeah. True Grace, how are we doing? We alive? We doing well? Wow, the, the difference between each service, the yeah. 9 a.m. is like, we're just glad to Too be here. Too much coffee. That's and then this, this is like the yeah. amped up. Yeah. Yes, clearly. <laughs> and your kids are in kids ministry. That's why you guys are excited right now. Uh, hey, if I haven't met yet, my name is Tony. I'm a pastor in the Seattle area. My wife, uh, Ariel, and I are from Venture Church. You might know our lead pastors, Brandon and Di Beals. Mm -hmm. uh, we've been there. I've been there 13 years. Gave my life to Christ there. Uh, became a youth pastor there, did youth ministry for 11 years, youth and young adult ministry. This is a picture of our family. This is, uh, this is my wife, Ariel. These are our kids, Linnea, she's four, Elia, she's one. We call them our coconut babies because they're brown on the outside and white on the inside. And <laughs> they love Taylor Swift and all that junk. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we, uh, we have a really good life, if I'm being honest. We, God's been really good to us. Mm -hmm. And we ha we've had a great role at our church. We always thought that this would kind of be it. Like we would ride off into the sunset, the kingdom of God, live a good life, make a good wage, and, and, and enjoy it. But who knows that when, when God calls you to something, I get the what I call it the I can't help it. Mm -hmm. I got to do something about it. Mm -hmm. This Too Big For Me series, which I like that we're doing today, 
this has been my story. You know, my wife and I recently felt like God called us to plant a church. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever read or heard about church planting, it's horrible. <laughs> it's awful. It's a, I it's a romantic notion. It's a lot harder than people realize. It's a lot harder than people realize. <laughs> you have to, like, fundraise and build teams and, and do all these things and find venues. And it's awful. I wouldn't wish it upon anyone. <laughs> but if God calls you to it, won't he see you through it? Yeah. My wife and I really feel led by Jesus to plant Venture Church in Seattle. Now, last service, when I said Seattle, Pastor Peter could attest the whole crowd, literally the entire crowd went, oh. <laughs> Why would you want to do that? Yeah, it was like almost borderline awkward. Here's what I've discovered about uh, people of the faith. Not just our faith, but people outside the church. We're really good at telling everyone what's wrong with Seattle. We're really good at it. Let's just be honest. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's homeless. It's woke. It's, it's depressing. It's isolating. Can I remind you that the way God saw the city of Nineveh, mm -hmm. he called Nineveh that great city three different times in Scripture. Mm -hmm. The way God sees Lacey is the same way God sees Seattle. Mm -hmm. These are people that he loves that yeah. need to hear his message yeah. because he wants the kingdom of God full. He wants our friends, our family members to be in heaven with yeah. him, yeah. to know him. We see the need in Seattle. We know that there's a major uphill battle. Our denomination, the Assemblies of God, 20 years ago, we had 20 churches in Seattle. The largest city in our region, today we have three. Of those three, none of them average more than 50 people. Look how packed this room is. Imagine if an environment, a faith environment like this in Seattle. Mm -hmm. our, our hearts desires to reach those who are lonely, mm -hmm. who moved here for a tech job and still have no family. Mm -hmm. We have the largest LGBTQ neighborhood in Seattle. Our goal is that they would feel the, the call of God on their life, that they'd mm -hmm. feel an invitation to, mm -hmm. to know Jesus. Yeah. Our, our belief is that those who are isolated mm -hmm. or those who are elderly, that they would all know to come God, uh, come to know God. and. Yeah. We want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Yeah. So my wife and I are planning our roots. We're moving to Seattle. We have a team of crazy people coming down with us. And we're going to see, this is the prophetic phrase we've adopted, that people would stop saying, this is what I see in Seattle, this is what I found in Seattle, but that people would begin to say, I found God in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And thank you. And on our prayer, our ask of you today is that, number one, when you think of Seattle, think of my wife and I. When you drive through it, when you go to a Hawks game, when you do something like that, think about, man, there's that, that bald dude came to our church. He was really loud. Mm -hmm. I think he started a church there. I don't know if it ever happened, but I, but I hope it happens. Yeah. I want you to be a part of it. Yeah. I want you to be a part of it through prayer, and our ask is that you would prayerfully consider mm -hmm. giving mm -hmm. to our campus. Yeah. Our church needs your financial support and your prayer today. Yeah. And I know it's a season of the holidays. We're all buying presents. We're all doing these things, but for a moment, I would encourage us all to think outwardly as well, yeah. to think of those dying and going to hell if they don't hear the gospel, yeah. especially in our city. I was telling Tony in the last service, you know, I always say, God, you need to call some Christians to Hollywood, and you need to call some Christians uh, to Washington, D.C. in politics. Just don't call my friends and family, right? <laughs> call, call Tony. He, his family can do it, right? We'll go.
And, but um, when somebody's willing to go, I think it's important that we get behind them. And so maybe today you're like, I care about Seattle. I would love to see a move of God. Maybe that's already on your heart. We're going to give Thursday's Thanksgiving Day service offering entirely to this. But I know the majority of us probably won't be able to be in church on Thanksgiving Day. And so if you want to mark an envelope in the back, just write Seattle Church Plant. We hope to do something really generous, really powerful. We have our own projects here. we got a lot of things we want to give to. But we have to care about the church outside of Olympia area. And um, so if his wife and his kids are going to go, we're going to pray for them. We're going to ask God's favor over their lives. And if you know anybody in Seattle like a year from now or if you plan to move there, I don't know why they're moving there, but they're moving there, right? Yeah, they're, they're moving there because of you, right? Let's go. Maybe you could be a part of this launch team even. Yeah. So can I ask if you stand to your feet for a moment? We just want to pray for this family and this new yeah. endeavor that God's going to do, all right? Let's pray. God, thank you for Tony, his wife, and his kids, God, and those who are helping do this incredible new work. God, it's not easy. It requires sacrifice. God, there is no promise. Lord, they're, they're, they're losing a lot of security to do this. And so, God, as the family of God, we pray for them. God, resource them, strengthen them. God, let this be the funnest season of their lives as they step out in faith and see you move in remarkable, radical ways. God, I pray this church should be known for uh, across the city as an incredibly generous uh, place of healing and hope, God, in, in a world that sometimes feels very hopeless. So, God, go before them and let us be a part of their success, and we will celebrate with them in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Thank you, Pastor Amen. Peter. Thank, Thank you, Tony. True Grace. You Appreciate seated. it. Awesome. Love that you're doing that, man. That's a perfect example of trying to do something that's too big for me. And so I admire Tony for doing just what he's doing. Sometimes what God's asking you to do, his assignment for you, it feels too big for you. But can I also say this? Some of you, just the circumstances of today, you just feel like today is too big for me. Like I know people in our church who are walking through cancer and death and divorce and, and addiction and hardship and, and there's tears every day. And you wouldn't say like, well, God's asking me to go on this mission trip and that's too big for me. You're like, I don't even know how I'm going to live today. You know what's too big for me? Today. Just, just like taking one step forward today. And if that's the case for you, I want to remind you this. Lean into Jesus Cling to Jesus. Be honest with the Lord. Listen, you're, you're too overwhelmed not to be in church. You know what I'm saying? Like you're, you got too much going on in your life. You're too busy not to pray. You need to pray. You need to be in church. And if today is just one of those things that's just today's too hard, press into God in your life. All right? Press into God. Listen, 600 people will probably hear this message, maybe 700. Imagine if 600 people received a divine assignment from God and they went out and they did it. Like the difference between 600 people like getting an assignment from Jesus and going and doing it and only 100, that's huge. So my prayer is always that everybody would hear like, love that person in your six-period class. <laughs> like give to that project. Go serve in that project. Go start that ministry. Go join that life group, whatever it is. That everybody would respond uh, to what God's asking us to do. So in Gideon, uh, Gideon's story, Judges chapter 6, if you have your Bible, it's a strange story during, our, uh, during a very barbaric time in history where people just raided each other all the time. Uh, when I read the Bible, I, I stop and I say, God, thank you that I was not born in that time in history. Anybody else? I'm so glad when I was born. Um, it's a strange time. We're going to read his story. But God asked Gideon to do something that's far too big for him. And here's the reality. The Apostle Paul taught us this. He said, when you are weak, he is strong. I love that. 
When you are weak, he is strong. When you are unable, God is able. The Apostle Paul said, man, I struggled with this thorn in my flesh, and I pleaded with God to take this struggle away from me, this pain, this suffering away from me. And this is what God said. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. God said to the Apostle Paul, my grace is what you really need, and my power works best in weakness. Here's the reality. If you are weak, he is strong. His power works best in you when you kind of throw up your hands and say, God, I'm too weak. Like your Christian brother or sister who's like, God, I'm pretty good. You're the one saying, no, no, God, I'm weak. You're stronger because in your weakness, you've acknowledged your need for him. And he's going to come fill that place in your life, your weakness with his strength. So Paul says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of something that just went away. (laughs) Is is this a joke? Anyways, each time he said, my grace is sufficient for my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. So let God's power work through you in your life. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses, for when I am weak, Paul says, he is strong. God can work through a person who recognizes their need for him. Oftentimes, I have to remind myself of who God is in my life. This morning, just this morning, before I got out of bed, I woke up, and as I took the covers off to get out of bed, I said, God is on the throne. His promises are true. The devil is a liar, and faith is the victory. I probably said it twice. God is on the throne. His promises are true. The devil is a liar and faith is the victory. And I got out of bed on Sunday morning feeling pretty good about life because I reminded myself of what is true. I didn't wake up and go, oh, no, it's Sunday. And the reason I didn't is because I love our church because our church is full of encouraging people, and I love being the pastor of this church. But I also understand this. There are times in our life where we just need to be reminded that God's grace is sufficient for me in my times of weakness. That's true in your life. God is able to help you when you are unable. God doesn't call a qualified. He qualifies the people that he calls. So here's the setting. God's people in uh, Israel, there are many times that they'd serve God. They had the blessing of God. This is one of those times in history where they have turned their back on God, and God's hand of favor is not upon his people. Verse 7 of Judges chapter 6. It says, When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the, the people that were raiding them, <clears throat> Excuse me, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites, and he said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians, from all those who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies, and I gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer, Gideon, uh, son of Joash, was threshing wheat in the bottom of a wine press to hide grain from the Midianites. Just pause with me for a moment. There's a regular guy named Gideon. He's doing his job. He's separating the kernels of wheat from the chaff. And sometimes that's on a floor. Sometimes it's like trod on by animals. Sometimes they beat it. They're separating it. They're taking a pitchfork, throwing it up in the air. The kernels are coming back down. The chaff is being blown to a different part of the floor. They're separating it. And what's interesting about this is where Gideon is, is trying to figure out what's usable and not usable. And then God comes to Gideon and says, are you usable? I have something, a divine assignment for you, but I want to know, will you respond? Will you let me use you to do something great? Uh, in my people, in, in this life. I don't know if Gideon had any idea how big of a thing it was for God to call him and use him. God had raised up prophets and, and kings and, and uh, others around him. And this time God is calling not a priest, 
not a prophet, but a judge. In this time in Israel's history, they're called judges. And God selects this, this uh, man, Gideon, to help with the desperate plight of his people. And listen, God can select anyone he wants. God can even select you. And you probably think God could select this person or that person. God, call a pastor, call a missionary, but I'm a normal person. Hey, I was a normal person once too. God picked me. And honestly, I'm still a normal person. Whatever God's asking you to do, he's asking for your availability. Not your abilities, but your availability. And like Moses, Gideon is a reluctant leader. Watch how he responds in verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, uh, the Lord is with you. I love that. The angel looks at this ordinary guy and says, Mighty hero. And he's like, what? Like the NIV, I remember studying the NIV. It wasn't mighty hero. It was mighty warrior. And if God appeared to me in my like, bathroom and said, hey, mighty warrior, I'd be like, is Mel Gis, is Braveheart behind me? Is William Wallace in the house? Because I don't see a mighty warrior. I just see me, right? And it's so fascinating that, that, that God sees you and he calls you a, a hero or a warrior because he sees not just who you are as you are today, but who you could become with his help. Who you are with Jesus with you. How many times has God said to me, I know you can't. And I said, God, I can't. But, but Jesus and I can. Let me turn that on you. You can't do what God's asked you to do, but you and Jesus can. Your divine assignment, you can accomplish that with God's help in your life. And the angel says, mighty hero or mighty warrior, and that important part, that the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. In essence, the angel is saying, there's no mistake, Gideon. God has a plan for you. The plan will succeed, not because you are able, but because the Lord is with you. And Gideon kind of has this moment. He's like, um, how do you tell an angel he's got the wrong guy? You know, how do you tell if an angel has dementia or not? Because this, this, this has got to be the wrong, you know, wrong house. You, you missed it by one. He, he doesn't want to respond because he just thinks this can't be me. Here's point number one if you're taking notes. Everything changes when the Lord is with you. You've got to understand if the Lord is with you, the whole equation like changes. Like you might feel like if I'm fighting the devil in my own strength, this is not going to go well. But if you're fighting the devil and you have the power of the living God with you, I almost feel sorry for the devil. Because the living God's power in you is greater than you think or you understand. In a little over three decades of actively living for God, I've had some highs and some lows. I've had some triumphs in my life. But every one of them is all because God's power was in me. It was never because of me. It was always because of God. Because God is bigger than you, he's stronger than you, he's smarter than you, he's more powerful than you are, he's far more powerful. So it's not about you, it's about who you're trusting in. The power of the living God in you changes you. He is the savior of the world. And God might want to save someone through you. Some of you NFL fans, you know the very first week of the season, the uh, New York Jets went out and they signed Aaron Rodgers. They brought in their quarterback to save their team and lead them to uh, the Super Bowl. And on the third play of the game, he tore his Achilles. And everybody said, oh, no. Oh, no. What I really think is funny about this story is Aaron Rodgers is telling everybody, no, I'm coming back. I'm not waiting till the playoffs. I'm not waiting till next year. I'm going to come back during the season, and I'm going to lead our team to victory. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm not so sure that the 39-year-old quarterback with a weak Achilles is going to be the savior of the New York Jets. It would be a cool story. But I am certain that Jesus is the savior of the world, and if he's with me, I can do what he's asked me to do. There is a savior. Jesus said this, and be sure of this, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is what Jesus says to me. This is what Jesus said to you if you're following him. You're not by yourself. You're not walking with that situation at work by yourself. 
You're not walking in that situation in your family by yourself. He's with you. The big divine assignment that's too big and too scary, he's with you. Jesus said, and be sure of this, I am always with you. So don't look in the mirror and see only you. Look in the mirror and see Jesus in you. Verse 13, uh, Sir Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles that our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? I don't know if this counts as like good history or whining or both, but he's probably right. Lord, we're not powerful. We're not God-fearing. We're not, we haven't been blessed. We're a mess. We've abandoned your teachings. Look at us. Look at the nation of us. And maybe the angel will say, yes, you are. As a people, you've decided to live without me. But then it says this, verse 14, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. My favorite part of this incredible verse in the Bible is this, um, in the limited strength that you have. Go with the strength that you have. I love that God doesn't say, Go with all the strength in the world. Just go with whatever you got. Take the little bit amount of strength you got and use that. On a scale of 1 to 100, my strength is about a 4 right now, God. Well, go with your 4, and I'll take you the rest of the way. Come on, just go in the, like, the limited amount of strength that you have. God doesn't say, you got to be 100, because you'll never be 100. God, I will serve you. I will be your judge. I'll be Gideon, God, as soon as like, everything's going well and I'm perfectly strong. Like That ain't going to happen. God calls you to serve him where you are today. Like in the strength that you have today. And so the angel says, just, just go. The Lord says, go, go the strength that you do have, not the strength that you don't have. Uh, point number two is this. Go in your minimal strength. The Lord will take you the rest of the way. It's so important that we stop and say, God, this is all I got. You know, five loaves and two fish. But if you'll take it and multiply it, I'll offer it to you. God, all I got is my, my life. And it's, it's got a lot of issues. But if you'll take my life and make it great, I offer it to you. Go with what you've got, not with what you don't have. You never get to go in full strength. The scripture says anyway that it's not by power, not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So you don't need to go in your strength. You need to go in God's strength. It's not about you. It never was about you. And so God instructs Gideon. I'm going to have to fast forward for the sake of time. I want you to cut down some idols. I want you to start now in leading my people. And you know, you know about that Asherah pole, right? You know about those idols, uh, the sacrifices. I want you to take care of that. And so Gideon, it says in the scripture that, that Gideon at nighttime takes a group of men and he goes and cuts down the idols because he's scared. Remember Nicodemus? He was like certain that Jesus might be like, you know, really like, oh, he might, I'm going to go at night just to be safe because people might talk about me. And some of us, that's where we're at. Like we're checking out Jesus. Like we think he's powerful, but I'm still going to go under the cover of darkness. And the next day, all hell breaks loose. As people go, who cut down our idols? Who did it? And they find Gideon's family, and they say, hey, we heard it was your son. And thankfully, somebody stands up and says, hey, you know what? If those idols are so powerful, let them take down Gideon. And everybody backs off. And soon Gideon becomes a leader of God's people. He begins moving in power. People sense that God is doing something, that something is going on. I want to remind you this, that Gideon needed to learn that he could trust God. And that night he did. In the Old Testament, you know the story of Saul not trusting in God. Saul looking in the mirror. Saul, Saul being worried about what the people think of him. And David actually did trust God. David was much younger than Saul, but he had learned, even in his youth, that God is trustworthy. So watch what happens there. King Saul thought Goliath was too big to fight, but David thought Goliath was too big to miss. Two people looking at the same guy. 
They're just looking through different eyes. One through fear, one through faith. My hope is that you look at the problems in your life, not through fear, but through faith. Man, that guy's too big to miss. This is going to be great. God asked Gideon, step up. But Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. I don't come from like this long line of spiritual leaders and winners. What are you doing calling me, God? I come from a long line of losers. Don't raise your hand, okay, because we want to honor your ancestors. I'm the least of the worst. My family's full of idolaters and swindlers and jailbirds and womanizers. We put the fun in dysfunctional. Like, you're going to call me from my, my clan? And listen, Gideon questions God, but I love this. Gideon questions God, but then he obeys. People think that you can't question God. People throughout Scripture question. They go, what? Are you sure? I don't know. But when they obey, God's pleased. Don't be afraid about asking God some tough questions. Just make sure you obey. God, if you allow me to kind of wrestle with this, I'll do it. But I need to wrestle with you a little bit. Gideon obeys. Gideon tears down the idols. And then in verse 36, we have this uh, laying out a fleece experiment. I think it's worth touching on just for a moment. Um, I'll pick up verse 36. Gideon said to God, if you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel, still don't really understand it, but as you promised... Then prove it to me this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet and the dew wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to rescue Israel uh, as you have promised. Verse 38, and that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. Isn't God kind that he says, hey, you took down those, those uh, Asher pole and I protected you. And now you asked for this fleece to be laid out and I, and I answered you. But it's not done. Verse 39. Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use this fleece for one more test. This time let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. And so that night God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. And my concern, church, sometimes when we hear this, I'm going to lay out a fleece before the Lord as we kind of think, hey, this is a great way to test God. Now, if you don't know what God's asking you to do, I don't think there's a problem saying, God, if you want me to do this, then open this door or, cl or close that door. But, but when God has already said what to do, like Gideon flat out says, if you're going to do what you promised, then prove it to me. I'm not sure laying out tests before God or laying out a fleece before God is a great biblical uh, example of how we should live out in faith. Somebody here today is going, God, if you want me to write a check for $1,000 for that church plant in Seattle, just let the Cougars win the Apple Cup, and then I will do that, God. <laughs> No, how's that even going to happen, right? You know, like, like, you don't need to lay out a fleece. If you know what God's called you to do, just go and do that. I lost them. I lost the Cougar fans. Man, I just got, you know. But sometimes we do that. Hey, God, if you want me to, if you already know that God's called you to do something, try this. Try obedience. Man, good old-fashioned, like, mashed potatoes and, and steak and just do it, obedience. You don't need some, some excitement. I'm going to do what God's asked me to do. Sometimes we don't know. We say, God, direct me, help me. But if you know what God's already asked you to do, just go and do it. We understand where Gideon's at because as humans, we all relate because we all struggle with doubt. Like doubt is part of faith. Doubt is a part of the, of the Christian walk. And I love this person who said this. They said, I'd rather live in my faith and visit my doubts than live in my doubts and visit my faith. Man, isn't that good? Like if you struggle to doubt in your life that everybody has, I'm not going to live there. I'm not going to stay there. I'm not going to sit in my doubt and wallow in it. I'm going to live in faith. And there are going to be times in my life where I'm going to visit doubt, and it's going to be hard. 
There are going to be places in the scripture I don't understand and seasons of discouragement, but I'm not staying there. I'm just visiting. Point number three is this. When God has promised to be with you, impossible odds, they're never impossible. So God is at work. God is doing the heavy lifting, not Gideon. Verse 2 of chapter 7 says this. Early in the morning, Gideon and all of his men camped out. Um, and the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army that anybody who trembles in fear can turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. Can you imagine if you are called by God to lead something and do something, and God says there's too many, you'll think that you did it. So let's take the army down from 32,000 to 10,000. God, we're going in the wrong direction here. I'm trying to do this for you, and you're paring this thing down to a point where it's like, I thought it was impossible to begin with. This is worse, and it's not done. Verse 4, but the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. And Gideon's like, have you counted? Because it doesn't look like it, right? Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and there the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank with cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. How would you drink out of the river in those days? I tell you what I would have done. I would have got that life straw thing and taken it down to the river. How many know what a life straw is? Oh, wow, this, the first service was completely clueless, all right? So you can tell them I said that. But a life straw is something you can actually, supposedly, it's got a filter, and you're supposed to be able to drink out of the river and not get sick. I think that's pretty cool. And I think Pastor Tony should try it out first. And if it works, then we'll all get behind it, right? The Lord said again, and with 300 men that, that you have that lapped up, uh, I will save you with just these 300, and I will give the Midianites into your hands. So let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but he kept 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets and others. And God takes the army from 10,000 down to 300 faith-filled crazies. People with a death wish who are saying, if God doesn't save us, we're all going to die. And it's not going to be pretty. Gideon, you're going to realize it. Everyone is going to know it. This victory is from God, not from men. I just wonder how confident Gideon was. I know when God gives me impossible odds, there are moments where I'm like, this is going to be incredible. God's going to receive all this glory. And then like five seconds later, I'm like, what are we doing? This is crazy. You know, and I'm kind of like this a little bit. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you understand that. Gideon, this victory is not going to be for man. It's going to be from God. And it's not just going to be for you. And it's not just going to be for today. Because I'm going to have people in Lacey, Washington, thousands of years later, and they're going to read this story. And it's going to be a reminder and a truth to them that they need to understand it is not about you. Stop looking at your strength and your abilities and realize it's about God's power in you. The Spirit of God in you can do so much more than you understand. That's what we're going to do, Gideon. Why is this so important? Humans' level of faith leaks. Man, even after we've seen God do marvelous things, I've seen demons come out of people. And, and, and six months later, I'm kind of like, God, I'm really struggling with uh, discouragement or doubt today. How is that possible? How can we see God's marvelous move and, and miracles in our life and hear God's voice and then the next you know, months or, or years later kind of go, where is God? Isn't it true that the human condition leaks faith sometimes? 
And we need to be active and let God refill us with, with new faith in our lives. So then what happens, Verse chapter, point number four is this. When God is the source of your strength, the battle doesn't belong to you. The battle belongs to the Lord. Got to realize that. It wasn't David versus Goliath, right? God and David versus Goliath. Again, poor Goliath. This wasn't really fair for him the whole time. Verse 11. God has a plan. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, God says, and you will be greatly encouraged. I'm going to give you even a little bit more confidence to do what I'm asking you to do because I know it's crazy. Then you'll be eager to attack them. So Gideon took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy camp, the armies of Midian and Amalek, and the people of the east that settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. And Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. How many know about this dream? Have you read this before? We call it the bread dream. Okay, like in uh, Kung Fu Panda, there's the noodle dream. Okay. But in Judges, there's the bread dream. And this is crazy. Gideon crept up just as a man, one of the enemy soldiers, was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream. And in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp, and it hit a tent, and it turned it over, and it knocked it flat. And his companion answered, your dream can mean only one thing, that God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all of its allies. And Gideon, standing behind these two men, suddenly he's encouraged. A loaf of barley bread in this dream, like, knocked our army flat. I picture these two guys. Dude, I had a dream. We were steamrolled by a loaf of barley bread, man. And the other guy, man, I hate it when that happens. Just last week, my cousin Vinny... And he got rolled up by a slice of sourdough. We were toast. I missed that last service, but I got it this one. And I got the cougar's sourdough toast. This is good. Gideon directs his army. Divide up the 300 men in three groups. Take the ram's horn. Take the torch. Blow the torch. Shout for the Lord. Each man stood at his position, verse 21. And they watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic when they blew their horn and lit their torch, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their, their, the ram's horn, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. And those who were not killed fled to places as far away as three or four cities. God says, Gideon, I'm going I'm to show you how powerful I really am. Blow the trumpet, light the torch, shout, and watch who the battle really belongs to. I wonder if there's some battles in your life and in mine that God wants to fight. But he just needs you to be willing to respond to what he's asking you to do. Maybe he'll even give you some encouragement along the way like he did to Gideon. Your job isn't to win every battle. Your job is to be obedient to what God asks you to do. Sometimes people did what God asked them to do, and they laid their lives down for their faith. They didn't get to choose the results, but they did get to choose their obedience. And maybe what God asks you to do doesn't end in some glorious, incredible story that will be written and read about years from now. 
But if you're obedient, when you cross heaven's threshold, there's going to be some cheering. Because you responded. You were obedient to what God asked you to do. I like this phrase at the end that I just, maybe it's a new four lines for me. God, I don't feel good enough, but I know you're capable. And if you will be with me, I will do what you're asking me to do. Maybe this is a prayer for us today. God, I don't feel like I'm good enough, but I know you're capable. And as long as you will be with me, I will do what you're asking me to do. Can we bow our heads for a moment? I just want to ask a basic question. What is the Lord asking you to do? What's your divine assignment? Serve me in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. If your body doesn't work right, serve me. If you lost confidence, serve the Lord in your weakness. Where you are weak, he is strong. Don't let your weakness keep you from what God has asked you to do. Let his power be on display in your life. Live your life for the Lord. Offer your life to the Lord. He may be looking at you saying, you don't understand, I'm with you. You're capable, for, capable of far more than you realize. Not because of you, but because of me and you. Go in your minimal strength. It's not by your might, it's not by your power, it's always been by my spirit. And maybe you're Goliath. You've been looking at it with fear. Saul thought Goliath was too big to fight. David thought he was too big to miss. So Lord, today we don't lay out fleeces and question and wonder. And God, we're human. We face doubts. But Lord, you promised to be with us. And if you're with us, we're going to do what you've asked us to do. If you're here today and you have not been living for Jesus, this is the day to stop and just say, I want to be a person of faith. I need God's forgiveness. I really, really want to follow him. And I, I, I want to be a, not just one of the ones that's willing maybe go. I, I want to like, I want to be real. I want to be authentic. I want to lead in faith. If that's you, would you raise your hand really high? God, that's me. I want my faith to be real and alive and powerful. Yeah, about 25 of us. Anybody else? Raise our hands. Awesome. God, I pray today that you would give each of us a divine assignment. And Lord, if the assignment is changing... If we've raised our kids, if we've worked at that workplace, if it's a new season where we get to do something different for you, show us what it is. Don't let us back down from what it is. God, help us to plant churches. Help us to go on mission trips. Help us, God, to build a new building for interns right at True Grace. Help us to pay off this loan. God, help us to start new ministries and start new life groups. 
God, help us to reach out to those who are afflicted and addicted right around us. God, don't let us be lethargic. Don't let our faith be weak or boring. Make us alive. And Lord, whoever it is that you want to impact their life through me, through each one of us, we're willing. Take us up to the big diving board and help us to jump in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And aren't you glad you came to church today? God is speaking. God is moving. This is a fun season at True Grace Church. Make sure that uh, you edify someone, you build someone up, you bless someone or encourage someone before you leave the campus today. All right. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord. Have a happy Thanksgiving. See some of you Thursday here, 10 a.m. All right. God bless.